Hi, thanks for listening. This is the It's So Widgets podcast. My name is Hola Korn, and each episode, we have a chance to talk with another amazing member of the Flutter community. And this episode, we are extremely lucky to speak with Randall. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, hi. Randall Schwartz here, enjoying myself in my hometown of Portland, Oregon. Thanks for being on the podcast. This is really a pleasure. People listening, Randall was kind enough in the past to have me on his amazing podcast that he was hosting for many years called Floss Weekly, uh, which is really a great privilege and it's super exciting. Uh, and Randall's been kind enough to join us on our podcast. So welcome and thank you for being on. Thank you. That was the uh, November 14th, 2018. I had to go look it up. That was episode 506. And when I finally retired myself from the podcast, it was uh, it was like uh, on episode 600, 700, something like that. So it was quite a, wow. quite a ways after you. Yeah. So can you share a bit about yourself, share about your background? Yeah, I'm, um, I, I like to say street trained programmer. I had never had any formal training in fact, by the time I was in high school, I was teaching the basic class uh, for the high school group. Uh, the the pro the the teacher for that class had formerly been in a previous life a programmer, uh, so he knew a lot about it. But uh, he liked what I had to say when I was t- teaching for loops and if statements and things like that. So um, it was uh, it was quite fun, and it gave me sort of the it, it sort of uh, gave me the sort of a uh, stage requirement that I had to eventually incorporate into my professional career where I was talking about something, explaining things, explaining complex things in particular, very simply. And so that turned into um, a whole career and a, a bunch of different opportunities for me and, and everything like that. So I self-taught. Um, I said that already. I started teaching myself when I was 10 um, by the time I was 16, I was out of high school, not because I dropped out, but because I'd already been graduated. So that was really nice. I went immediately into industry. I spent five years uh, at uh, the largest employer in Oregon, which was Tektronics. And uh, initially, I was a technical writer, even more skills in the, uh, the soft skill side, which was really fun. And then uh, I spent uh, a year at a company that was building a small talk engine that eventually became Gemstone, if anybody you they're familiar with that. And I got to play with Smalltalk on the, um, uh, the 4400. No, whatever it was, the, whatever the small, uh, whatever the uh, Tektronics box was, uh, Magnolia, that's it. And so I was coding in objects in 1981 on a Smalltalk 80 image. That's how far back I go with, with OO. Um, and then I, so I spent a couple more time, uh, a couple more jobs in a couple other companies and then I started my own company God, almost 40 years ago, uh, where I've uh, been contracting for various uh, institutions and, and uh, Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and somewhere in the middle of that, I discovered uh, Pearl, which was is my big sort of central claim to fame. I, uh, uh, I started going on Usenet, if any of y'all are old enough to remember that. It's still there, but it's not. It's just a pale whimper of what it used to be. Um, I would go on the Comp Unix Questions group, and I really liked what Perl was doing. So I would, uh, this is back in Perl one days, I would uh, answer the question in Perl, even though it was in the shell group. And uh, I know I did that enough. And I recall that somebody finally said, they posted a question in Comp Unix Questions, and at the very bottom of it, they added, no Pearl, please. 
So I know I've been answering enough questions that I became famous in that group for doing that. And so sure enough, I answered his question with shell code. But then I said, and this one liner does it in Perl. <laughs> Just to say, <laughs> it's really, it's, uh, you got to embrace it. And then, of course, Perl 2 came out, Perl 3 came out. Uh, I got involved with um, uh, being on the writing side for Perl, the Camel book, the programming Perl, uh, because I, again, opened my mouth a little bit. And uh, when Perl 3 came out, the man page had gone from 20 pages to 60 pages. And uh, they wanted to have uh, something a little more, people wanted more things written. And I said, look, I've been a technical writer for many years. Uh, I've written uh, a shelf full of books at this point. Um, ghost writing one, so none of it had my name on it. Um, I stuck my name into the ASCII codes in one of the examples, but that was about it. Um, and shh, I'm not telling anybody that anymore. <laughs> it's been way too long. Nobody would even remember. Um, and uh, um, so I worked with Larry Wall, the creator of Pearl, to create that first book. And um, then I uh, was asked to create a course about this. And I thought, sure, I can do that. That's the same thing as what I was doing in high school. And uh, I created a course. And on the first week, somebody came up to me and said, uh, uh, you know, we really like the Camel book. But this course lays out the material in a much easier to approach manner. And I go, hooray, I worked. <laughs> it worked the way I wanted it to. But he, he, said, he said, why don't you have a book on this, like this? And I went to, uh, I said, oh, that's a great idea. So I went to uh, uh, an email to Tim O'Reilly, the head of O'Reilly and Associates or O'Reilly Media, whatever it's called these days. They just keep changing the names. Um, it's the fastest uh, proposal acceptance I've ever gotten. He emailed me back within 15 minutes and said, yes, we've been waiting for you to recommend a second book. <laughs> so um, that's how I got into the whole training side, Learning Pearl, and I had uh, Intermediate Pearl, um, and I had five instructors running around with me in the late 90s, and Pearl became the darling language of the web, and so we needed a lot of classes to happen, which was great because I had the right instructors for that. And I just got really embedded in the Pearl community as a result of that, sort of uh, you know, always speaking at conferences and uh, writing a bunch of stuff. I wrote 255 magazine articles that I uh, smartle, smartly retained the online, uh, the ability to pu publish them online on my website. So yes, there's still 255 articles out there that were originally written for hire for magazine. Of course, after every magazine hired me, they usually went under about a, a year later. So I also killed four different magazines. Um, I think it was me. I'm not sure. Um, so, uh, but one of the things that that comes out is every once in a while now, when I have a question and I think go, I think there's a way to do that. And I Google for it and Google for the thing I'm looking for about 10% of the time, the first hit is one of my own magazine calls. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I, I guess I wrote the relevant things because I'm, I'm finding it myself and I couldn't remember it anyway. So I spent a lot of time with, uh, with Pearl. Um, and then I discovered Dart and then Flutter, but we can keep talking about that. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's the answer of, how to, who am I? I think it's, that bounds it pretty well. Huh? That's a great answer. Thank you. Uh, I, I love, I love computer nostalgia. I think I'm, I'm at that age where I'm old enough that, you know, the, the this old languages, small talk are just, uh, there's something really mm -hmm. exotic and enticing and, and just, uh, there's this legacy to them. Right. Uh, I came about just when Perl was transitioning to PHP. So PHP is my first real language. 
Oh, no, Perl was never PHP. You're not, that word transition yeah. doesn't apply there. I would say that's true. They're different, but I felt community-wise, it, it felt like, for example, I wanted to build a website. And at the time, yes. the, the choice was ASP. That's what everyone was using, but we couldn't yep. afford ASP. So right. Because we couldn't use afford ASP, we were going to use Perl, but PHP was kind of this alternative option that seemed a bit slightly friendlier uh, syntactically. Yeah. Yeah, Perl had the disadvantage. Yeah, Perl had the disadvantage that it didn't do shared hosting very well. The Mod Perl thing, which is in use by uh, a lot of the high end websites. I mean, Ticketmaster was Mod Perl at one point, that sort of thing. Oh, wow. um, the, the Mod Perl really wants to own the entire Apache process and doesn't have a way of segregating pieces of it. And PHP was a drop in shared hosting situation, which is why PHP became very popular. Um, PHP was originally written in Perl, but that's on a number of years before that. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And then, yeah. so how did you find that about Dart? I mean, this is probably early on in Flutter. Or was this before Flutter were you using Dart? Obviously. Uh, well, I, I guess that's not obvious, is it? Um, no. So, the, the I think the history is, and I was just looking at some of my early writings, something like, uh, or early presentations. Um, so, what happened is, I've had this uh, little podcast that you mentioned earlier, uh, Floss Weekly. And that was running on for 13 years. And so I was always looking for clever things and smart people to put on the, the podcast. You, you probably know the same struggle. <laughs> it's, it's not always that easy. It's, you know, finding somebody that ha- is both cool and has the amount of, right amount of time. Because those usually contradict. Um, so uh, one of the people I had on, I think, which was the first dark guy, I think I put... Seth Ladd on. I could go back and Google for all the right answers to this, and I'm probably making mistakes, so just ignore that. But uh, uh, Seth Ladd, or somebody from Google, wanted to represent what Dart was about, and I thought I, I read through the descriptions of Dart because it was this is still pretty early on. This is still pre, uh, definitely pre 2.0. I'm trying to think of probably about I might have even been pre 1.0. But, uh, uh, you know, they, they wanted to talk about it. They, and, and the big game at that point with Dart was to replace uh, Google Web Toolkit and uh, because that was written in Java. And as most of you might know, Google and, and uh, the people who own Java now <laughs> aren't, aren't getting along very well. And so um, they were basically trying to phase out Java from what they were doing. Plus, Java is an older language and was quite bulky. So they thought about having a language that had about the right semantic complexity as the level of Java, maybe a little under, but not much, but could be completely transpiled to JavaScript, uh, which Java, unfortunately, has a much larger semantic space than JavaScript does. So the, there's a lot of things you have to be careful about when you're doing GWT. Um, but anyway, so they created this Dart language and I uh, had Seth on talking about it, and I was pretty excited by it. And I thought, this is going to be something interesting. So I actually wrote up uh, an inter- introduction to Dart and taught it in uh, Porto Alegre, Brazil, um, as uh, one of my earliest uh, conferences that uh, where I couldn't speak the language. It was all Portuguese. and not uh, I-, I know some Spanish, but that wasn't quite enough. Luckily, they most of them knew Spanish, too, so that was kind of cool. Um, and I had English translators kind of hang out with me. Anyway, so I presented this thing. And I thought, Dart's pretty cool. I'll keep going on with this and uh, keep playing with it. And I, I thought, for example, that, uh, let's see, it wasn't Angular Dart then. It was uh, the, 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 something with a P. Um, 
what was the name of the thing? Um, but I thought, hey, this is a new way to do, uh, you know, websites, uh, push the code down through JavaScript down to the browser. And I thought, that's just really, really cool. And I've always been looking for other ways to do this after Perl. I mean, Perl was still uh, being used heavily at this point, but it was still interesting to have something else to, to go out there. I did, I think, a second show on Dart, maybe when Dart finally hit 1.0 or whatever the next threshold was. Still not much going on. Uh, but then uh, I think a year later, I discovered that my old friend, uh, Wim Lehler, um, who lives here in Portland, um, was also hired by uh, Google in the Portland office to do some work with the, let's see what were they doing? They were doing the Flutter tooling, I guess, for um, like the IDEs. That's where they were doing They're doing it up here in Portland. And I wanted to come visit him to see what the Google facility looked like from the inside. And so he invites me down for the day. And um, he's, uh, I think I had also done a show on Flutter, but it was still really, really early. It was pre 1.0 for sure. Uh, but it was kind of interesting. It was like yet another way to, to do cool stuff. And so um, when I walked in, I said, you know, I want to write a book on Dart that I can teach people Dart because I think it has legs. I think it's going to go somewhere. And uh, uh, Wim spent the first, well, spent about an hour explaining to me what Flutter is and maybe eventually will be, although hand-waving for that part because nobody ever knows. <laughs> it's, it seems to contradict itself uh, even from the parts we know. Um, so, uh, Wim convinced me that Flutter was the bigger game. There's all sorts of, uh, stuff like GWT and everything in that space. And it's, uh, you know, stuff like React and stuff was already claiming all that. So Dart would never really be a full competitor to the existing, uh, web toolkits that were out there. But he says, Flutter has got something entirely different. And he, I, I started by asking, you know, various questions about it. And the more I heard about Flutter, the more excited I was. Because uh, I kept saying, so this can do both iOS and Android from the same code base. He says, yeah. I said, well, I already have those. Those are like, you know, like uh, React Native, things like that. Well, actually, this is predating React Native, I think. But the um, um, but he says, that's not the important thing watch this. And he showed me hot reload. And I went, Oh my God, this is game changing. He goes, yeah, we know that here. That's why we think flutter has legs. And he says, and by the way, uh, Seth was now sort of the overseeing member of the group. Uh, that he says, Seth, uh, emailed me, uh, before you came down today and said, whatever Randall does, make sure he's walking away, talking about flutter and talking about writing stuff about it. <laughs> <laughs> he accomplished it. I was so excited about Flutter when I left there. I started playing with it at home. And the best part was I had never had much of an inkling to write iOS and Android programs because I'm not a mobile guy. I'm a web guy, you know. But uh, within a half a day, I had my own app that I created, very tri trivial. But my own app was an icon on my homepage on my iOS phone. And I went, oh, that's an iPhone. Yeah, it's <laughs> my iPhone. Um, I went, I can do this. And I didn't have to learn anything about iOS or Android. I just typed some commands into this Flutter row window. And it was so exciting. 
I was like, now I can code in mobile. So I kept following the project really close and answering questions. Uh, I, I currently now, uh, every day, which takes a, probably about an hour a day, I go through everything on Stack Overflow about Dart and Flutter. I go through everything on um, uh, a few uh, subreddits on Dart and Flutter. Um, I read uh, Stack Overflow. I read some RSS feeds from there so I can pick up all the Dart and Flutter questions. So those are coming out to about 80 a day in terms of the number of people that are asking questions there. But it's fun because I know how to answer most of them, and I get better the more I try to find answers for things that I don't know yet. And this is all in preparation for me to eventually create, well, I was going to create a Flutter book. And in fact, I went to O'Reilly and said, can I, can I do a Flutter book? And uh, they said, uh, sure, uh, come up with a plan. And then I remembered the problem with books. The problem with books is you, uh, there's about a seven or eight month gap between you being able to change the last word you want to change in the draft and before it hits, even hits the first day on the shelves. Now, Flutter changes a lot in seven months. <laughs> it's, it seems to make about a 35 or 40 degree turn every seven to eight months. <laughs> and so I said, I can't print a book. So then I started thinking, oh, I'll do some uh, online videos. And I did a few of them. Uh, uh, I wrote a Flutter um, tutorial, What is Flutter? And I gave it the first time at Southern California Linux Expo. Uh, with Wim standing next to me. So we knew if I had a question, I could get an answer because he's right there. And he's also the one that ensured that on the cool things about Flutter page, which is towards the end, summarizing everything we've just seen, that cross-platform was in fact the last bullet item. Because he said that is not the story of Flutter. Flutter's main point is not fast uh, uh, cross-platform. Because if I say still and I repeat this as often as I can, even if all you're ever going to do is an iOS application, use Flutter. It'll be so much more fun than Xcode. It'll be so much more fun than everything you want to do. And it's so much more beautiful and 60 frames a second and all that. So even if you're only going to do Android or only going to do iOS, use Flutter because your experience will be so much enhanced. And we're seeing this a lot by other people's report switching from uh, other mechanisms over to Flutter. We're, I'm seeing it in, in the, the news groups and stuff like that. Um, so that I'm glad he told me to put that as the last point. <laughs> and uh, it, because it's true. And, and I, I get tired of people saying, well, should I use Flutter or React Native? That's not even a comparison. That's like saying, should I take a bicycle to work? Well, that's kind of healthy. Or should I take a, a jet car? <laughs> You know, <laughs> and it's it's not a comparison. It's it, the important point of Flutter is not cross-platform. The important point is what you can do with the tooling, which is remarkably cool. Um, especially when, like you know, there's the, the same backend thing that was done by uh, Danny Tuppany, I think was the guy that did uh, the uh, the IDE uh, supplement. Uh, um, Dark, uh, dark code and a bunch of other things. Um, I might, I might, I might have gotten the wrong guy. That's, I think that's it. I think so. Um, yes, code. Yeah, VS code. Right. Uh, Danny. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Right. Yes. Uh, sorry if we actually got the wrong guy's name. Anyway, uh, wrong person's name. Sorry. <sighs> Going to be bass uh, complete for that. Um, so um, 
So uh, I had a choice of using uh, Visual Studio Code or um, IntelliJ or like three things that run Java or something that actually runs in a real good time. (laughs) So yes, I use, I use uh, visual studio code. I've been really enjoying it. Um, I haven't ever been working with a strong uh, typed language. So the IntelliSense is really remarkable. I'm, I, I so miss that now when I go back to Perl, which is happens from time to time as I work with some of my existing clients. And, uh, but it's, it's so much more fun to do this kind of coding and just talk with a, a, a strongly typed language that has generics. That's all new to me. So I'm having to learn that side of it. But remember my object experience goes back to 1981. So I have a lot to draw on. I just have to sort of learn what the, how the generics actually figure in, in uh, writing my code. Um, but that was the long answer to the second question. <laughs> That's great. That was really informative. Uh, really interesting. I'm, I'm curious, so you, you've been following the community for such a long time. Do you see any trends or any changes over, over the years uh, developing? Well, uh, I think one of the exciting things that is uh, is also catching a lot of other people's eyes, yeah, it, cross-platform is an interesting concept or an, in, an interesting principle of, of Flutter. But the fact that the, uh, the boys in, at Google, uh, the people at Google, I'm sorry how much that gets into my language. Uh, the people at Google um, are really looking at this as being the one true interface for all platforms. And I tell you, you know, when you look at, say, uh, a car, uh, um, in, uh, an in-dash um, a car central entertainment system, that doesn't need to be running anything as complex as Android. It's too much. It's you don't need a whole operating system in there. You don't need Linux in there for sure. Um, so if you could instead build that car display with a variant of Flutter, it'd be easier to program, much more beautiful, much more conformant, um, much more performant, I should say. And I think you know when I can see a refrigerator that has a touchpad display that could be running Flutter. I mean, it can be everywhere. And now that they're also, you know, beefing up uh, desktop, beefing up web and whatever Fuchsia is, I don't know, but it, that may be something related to these, uh, these uh, 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 internet of things and, and walls. To the, I'm, I'm only seeing stuff that's been public. <laughs> um, and I'll add the disclaimer in a moment. But when I, when I see that sort of stuff, I go, yeah, this is, this is the one true interface. This is going to be the easiest interface to port anything I want, uh, any brand-ish stuff I want, so I can have, uh, like the Hamilton people did for uh, iOS and Android, having their app be the same things. I don't know if their website has any of that. that oh, that's not quite prepared well enough yet. And I just want to say as a disclaimer, uh, I am uh, uh, a uh, Dart and Flutter Google developer expert, GDE. And as a result of that, I'm told things that I know I can't say. Uh, all I can say is I'm even more excited based on what I hear. <laughs> there is an event on, on March 3rd, which we're all excited for. Yes, say that. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's um, okay. Next. Nice. Are there, so are there any things in Flutter you would like to see changed? Uh, um, ooh, let's see. 
I would expect it to keep evolving, uh, particularly in getting uh, desktop and web working better, um, that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know that it needs to get much further in mobile. What would be nice is to have more people contribute channel solutions uh, for some of the odder pieces of hardware that uh, that Flutter can't talk to yet. Um, because nobody's written the um, nobody's written the two sets of code that they have to write, which is um, you know the the version for iOS and that hardware and the version for Android and that hardware. It's it's not easy getting sort of outside the dark bubble um, with Flutter, but luckily a lot of people have already contributed a lot of stuff, so that I can do pretty much everything I want to. Like you know, Google Maps is in there, and OpenStreetMap is also there if you don't want to pay Google's prices and uh, which is nice. There's, so there's a lot of big choices. And if you look at recent uploads, um, similar to back, back when I was uh, hacking Pearl all the time, when I was writing uh, the, the magazine articles that I was creating, I basically read the um, uh, new uploads to the CPAN. That's the Pearl equivalent of what Dart has for pub. Um, I would read the uploads of the day and uh, look through the list. And usually about 10 or 15 items back in, even during the heyday of, of 2001, 2002, when um, Pearl probably had its, uh, its uh, claim to fame. Now there's something like 30 items being uploaded every day for Pearl. Pearl is far from dead. I really wish people would stop saying that. Pearl is, has a much smaller piece of a much bigger pie. And by that so that sort of numbers, uh, you know, it sort of looks dead, but uh, there are, uh, there's such a shortage of good Perl programmers out there that uh, I'm having fun, you know, picking and choosing the kind of stuff I want to work on still. Um, although I can always use another contract. Um, and um, um, the pub is the same way. You can ask for recent uploads to the pub and you see, that these are uh, might have been one or two back a couple years ago. Now there's like probably twenty or thirty in the period of the last twenty four hours. That's huge. That means there's a huge community. People are playing well. And I also want to say about the community is that since um, Dart and Flutter are um, both in GitHub and GitHub issues are looked at. And uh, pull requests are even taken, from what I understand, uh, provided you do all the things they tell you you have to do in order to be considered part of the code base. Uh, but that's amazing. That means this is community-owned. Because people then say, well, yeah, but, you know, Google just makes things go away every once in a while. No, it's safe from that because if Google ever decides, and I can't see how they would because they've invested so much time and energy into this, but if Google ever decides... Uh, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Hey, simple GitHub fork. Somebody else can be the benevolent dictator for at least a few years. And it will continue. It will continue on. It's all the source code you need is already open. There's no hidden corners of this thing. The, I, I can look at the very same code that the, the, the people in uh, at Google are looking at to figure out what to change. I can look at the issues and figure out what's what's biting them a bit. Uh, it's part of why, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's it's good to have that kind of visibility. I mean, even when Larry Wall was changing Perl around, he wasn't doing it in a public repo. He was doing it on a repo on his, uh, his, his machine. And so you didn't really see what was happening with Perl. You didn't really see the bug reports against Perl itself. 
you saw bug reports against like some of the CPAN modules and stuff, but you never really saw sort of an insight into uh, Larry Wall's creation strategy. Uh, and then eventually moved to the, the Pearl 5 quarters or Pearl team, whatever they're calling themselves now. And then you get to see all of that, all that happening out in public. Um, but I like that we're already protected against Google abandoning this, even though I consider that a very, very long shot. I don't think Google will. I think they put a lot of time and energy into this. It solves a lot of problems. Uh, it solves the problem of uh, what happens if um, um, what happens if uh, if Google and that other company that owns Java, whose name I won't mention without swearing, um, <laughs> it, it takes care of that because if you can get something that can actually run Android binaries, which the current version of Fuchsia apparently is close to working on. This is all public, by the way. You go to the Fuchsia archive and or the Fuchsia GitHub, you'll see all the what's not working yet, what are they working on, all that sort of stuff. Um, then you don't need Java anymore in Android. You don't need it for uh, Internet of Things. Um, you don't need it for GWT because uh, people have moved on to the uh, Angular Dart, actually, they're using uh, to replace... Uh, the two biggest properties they use uh, on Android for uh, for money, so uh, AdSense and AdWords, uh, that's all done using Flutter, and that's a public announcement uh, about two years ago, three years ago. That's all done with Angular Dart. Um, so Google has invested a lot of time and a lot of energy into this, and I'm I'm pretty happy uh, hitching to the same post because it, I think. I have stuff to contribute about it. I think, uh, as you see, my, the answers to my questions, I'm starting to finally get back into screencasting because I was letting, I was letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, and I said, "Screw it! I'm just going to um, do a simple run up and stuff." I'm, I don't even have a fancy opening and closing like everybody else does. Well, and that was the other thing I was going to say earlier. It's like when I started finally saying I'm going to write uh, a tutorial and publish it online. All of a sudden, everybody else started doing it, and they're all really good things. There are probably 20 or 30 uh, screencasters out there that are generating some amazing content about Dart and about Flutter, and I can't compete with all that. I can't figure out how to make any money if everybody else is taking that stuff away, um, and and more more power to them because, you know, um, let's let's have it all happen. So I'm, I'm excited about all that. Nice. Those are all excellent points. I agree with all of it. Um, I would say with the topic of you know whether Google will abandon Flutter, it's a question that kind of comes up all the time. I think mm -hmm. my, my where I struggle is I see Google commonly creating multiple products to solve the same problem, where they'll have Duo uh, and a messaging app and Hangouts every time mm -hmm. meet. Uh, and so you're seeing that I think in the same with uh, with app development, where you're seeing Jetpack Compose being developed at the same time with a fair amount of overlap. Uh, and I was just today looking at Jetpack Compose running on desktop. Which mm. I was so I, I agree. I think long-term, there's no question that Google are fully committed to Flutter. But what concerns me is seeing them kind of divide, or I don't know if they're hedging their bets, but they're certainly dividing their efforts between multiple options. If I was the size of Google, that would actually be a natural path would be, if the, and especially uh, I presume a lot of this is driven up from the teams. I mean, Flutter's history goes back to the Chrome people trying to get uh, a faster thing uh, if they could throw away some of Chrome's features. 
and uh, they could make it somewhat faster. You know, didn't have to support legacy code. They could make it somewhat faster, but then somebody on either the Dart side or the or the Chrome side said, "Hey, why don't we uh, create natural native code using this Dart language, which doesn't look too bad. It's actually pretty clever." And uh, they they went to the Dart people, or and or Dart people went to them and said. Well, yeah, we can we can target ARM. Yeah, that's just another output for our uh, compilers, which are pretty generic to begin with. And uh, the, the the rest is now Flutter. You know, originally Sky, and then Flutter now. But um, it's because the people in the Chrome groups and the Dart groups could get together and say, "We think we've got a synergy here that we can push forward." And um, you know, people ask me, well, why, why doesn't Flutter use Kotlin? And I go, it, you wouldn't like that. You really wouldn't like that. The Dart people have been able to add things in that are specifically to make Flutter happier. And it would be really hard to do the same thing with Kotlin when Kotlin's run by a different group. You know, a very different group. Yeah, Kotlin's uh, Apple's thing, right? No. Uh, JetBrains, I believe. Oh, oh, JetBrains, right, JetBrains, right. Yeah, the people that put Java in everything. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry, JetBrains is cool. They're a great company. If you like their um, IDEs, it's fine. I just can't wait around for those things to, to do what I want them to do. And all the non-standard icons, I was like, oh, what, what, what is this icon? I spent all my day uh, mouse-overing. Mouse-overing, is that a verb? Wolf might go in. Um Mousing over there. I think that would be the actual phrase uh, just to figure out what they are, you know, whereas with the, with the VSC, it's like, uh, yeah, this is pretty obvious. A lot of it's text. Uh, occasional, there's an icon with it. I don't know what it is and I have to wait and figure it out. But, uh, and it, of course, it runs a lot faster and it's fully open source. That's, that's the other thing. Microsoft produced a wonderful product that is completely open source. What's amazing to me is it runs Electron, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Run, but it always impresses me how the kind of performance they're getting out of it. You would assume mm-hmm. Electron app should be much slower, but it runs pretty well. Can you imagine what will happen if uh, someday they rewrite VSC in uh, Flutter? That'd be great. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. I recently made the switch. I've been using Android Studio for Mint for about two and a half years since I started yep. with Flutter. And I kept getting bugged to increase my memory limits time and again. I just kept ignoring <laughs> it or increasing it, and I just wouldn't give it up. I was just used to it. It kind of becomes, you know, the habit, especially the, the hot keys, you just get used to it. But I finally, about a few weeks ago, switched to VS Code. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really happy. It, it's, just, it's just so much faster. You can't compare it, especially with a larger project. I think as the project, when we first started the project, it was small enough that Android Studio could handle it. As the app got bigger and bigger, now it's at the point where it just, it just can't. It, and I just have to use VS Code to work on it now. Right. And I've got, uh, I've got uh, of course, in order to switch to it, even on day one, I found the, Emacs key bindings extension so that I'm typing, I am typing using my same muscle memory in, in wow. VSC as what I used to do for decades in Emacs. So this is really wow. nice. Oh, very cool. So before the podcast, I was doing research uh, and I came across your wiki page, which is pretty cool. You have your own wiki page. <laughs> That's pretty impressive in itself. And by that, you mean uh, Wikipedia. It's not, not just a general. Yes, yeah. our official Wikipedia page. And on mm-hmm. it, it talked about an issue with, with Intel. It seemed fascinating. So if mm-hmm. you're comfortable with it, I'd, I'd love to hear the story from you. Uh, for talking about it. Well, yes, uh, the, the sort of uh, brief version, the elevator pitch would be something like, 
um, that I was a sysadmin at the time. Uh, I overstepped what my boss's boss's boss thought was my boundaries. And uh, they decided to make a criminal case out of it to, uh, you know, prosecute me to the greatest degree that they could um, because they're the largest employer in Oregon and also because um, they actually had two officers. This, this, this is hearsay, so I don't know if that's accurate. So I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll couch it in that. That there were actually two officers on campus at all times. So this is uh, public funded paid for officers are on uh, Intel campuses. Um, but that's, that's only a small element of the story. So basically what I was doing is I was a, um, I was a beta tester for crack, I think version three and got kudos for some of the feedback I gave for it. I'm even listed in the, in the docs for it. Uh, crack for those of you who don't know is a way of taking the Unix password file and taking those so-called one way encryption uh, hashes and uh, generating enough of the plausible data that it could find passwords that were done badly. I used to run crack when I was in this one group at Intel. Uh, and I was, I was actually chartered with finding, you know, security holes, things like that. That was, that was my full job there. Uh, not full job, but uh, it was part of my sysadmin duties. And I would immediately march over to the desk of whoever, uh, was guessed by crack on a particular overnight run. And I would read them the riot act about, you know, no, no, you can't use that kind of a password. No, no, uh, more random, more hard to predict. And so one of them found the same guy the next day, clearly a different password, but I walked over to his desk and I said, um, no, even pets names are not allowed. Come on. <laughs> It was like silly. Okay. So I had that experience working in that group. I got, uh, I transferred to a different group, different contract where all I was, was a sysadmin for uh, a small cluster of machines, a very important key thing that I had to do, but, but it was just, I didn't have a lot of stuff and then crack four or five, whatever the next one was came out. And I thought, well, I can run it against my own password file, but, uh, there's only, you know, maybe five users and I'm sit across from three of them. You know, there's not like a, like a big uh, uh, selection there, but I still had guest access because I was maintaining Pearl on one of the machines back in the old group. So I grabbed their password file again. Now, remember this was after I had already eliminated when I was still working there uh, nine months earlier, I think about nine months, I had already eliminated all the bad passwords. So somewhere though, in the time ensuing, nine months, I think it was, uh, uh, was it 56, 56 out of 400 passwords were guessable. And I was outraged. And, uh, I thought these guys, the new sysadmins aren't doing their job. They're not running this apparently, or they're not, uh, they're not even like announcing that people should not be doing this, things like that. But before I could, uh, figure out a way to, uh, approach my my former co-workers to deliver this because they I knew the first thing I would ask is why are you doing this well I'm doing it mostly to test crack but um uh I, my new co-worker said uh saw all this running and it's, it wasn't like I was trying to make any any hiddenness about it it was like okay I'm I'm I've got the the intel badge on I'm I'm one of the guys 
Uh, I'm not trying to break in anything. I'm just basically testing uh, that out. And I found out that something that's very noisy. But it turns out that one of the guessable passwords was the vice president of uh, Intel for the area, um, uh, Oregon uh, territory there. Um, and the other one was the chief technology officer or something. I forget the titles now. It's been a long time. I had no idea. They were just usernames to me. I didn't care who those people were. You know, I just knew the number's too big of how many people can uh, get cracked. And so, but because it was those two key names, never mind that they pick bad passwords. The vice president's password, which we have revealed later in, in, in court, um, was president with the S changed to a dollar sign. Oh. <laughs> I'll never guess that. That was the most chuckable moment, the most uh, ch- chuckleable moment. That was closer. Uh, but anyway, the long and short of the story is that uh, I got brought up on, um, on uh, three charges, uh, all with really bad laws. Um, I could go on and on about how ORS 164-377 is a really overbroad and vague law. In fact, we argued that in court, but we couldn't really make the case for it well enough. But uh, in uh, just as an example, in Oregon and in uh, most of the Western states, because I'm aware that U.S. West was a, um, a property, they, um, they basically passed or got their legislature to pass the same law and to try to protect, you know, uh, access to networks and things like that. Anyway, if in Oregon uh, I hand you my phone and because you said you wanted to make a phone call, I said, okay, here, call. And I get the phone back, and the background color on the screen is changed because you changed it, right? That is a Class C felony, $100,000 and five years in jail. It doesn't even matter the level of damage that it was. It was like zero cost to repair it, anything, none of that. Just the fact that you made an unauthorized change to essentially a computing device. It, that's how bro- overbroad and vague this is because I can't tell if I'm inside or outside the law and I'm a person of reasonable intelligence. I can't say, you know, uh, you know, uh, is, is uh, hitting a web page in Oregon legal? Do you have written authorization to be able to change that system by adding a log entry to the website? You could even argue that that falls under this law. That's how broad it is. That's how vague it is. And it's roughly the same law, again, almost everything west of the Mississippi because of the U.S. West having passed that around, and a lot of places in the east. And also there's a federal level thing, but at least the federal level law, which is, thank God, I was only charged with state laws. The federal level law has a threshold of at least $30,000 worth of damage before it even starts being a crime, which makes a hell of a lot of sense. It needs to be down. Of course, there's many varying ways you can measure damage. Uh, they claim that they spent $60,000 repairing all the machines that I touched. What? I only touched my machine at my desk and the machine back over in the other group. That was it. <laughs> but they reloaded everything. But that was their choice, not mine. And it wasn't even insisted upon by that. But I, they ended up getting $67,000 in restitution from me. So oh, it's uh, this is two hundred thousand dollars in legal fees and, and and fines and stuff like that. 
you've uh, been, I, but I, sorry. Yeah. I was to say, you've been cleared, right? I'm reading through the, the story online. In the end, after many years, I know you, your, your case has been cleared. And, and you know, I believe it was, th- it was on appeals. Is that correct? No, no. The, what happened was a uh, sort of automatic expungement after 10 years because none of my crimes were uh, violent crimes. And, um, you know, I hadn't had any other convictions since then. So after 10 years, a judge will look at it and go, well, the conditions are met. You are now expunged. And all that means is that if you are asking me, have I been convicted of a crime? I can say no. But if you go to my Wikipedia page, it says, yes, he has. And it also says, yes, and he's been expunged. But technically, um, I still carry stigma from that. Uh, one, for example, I can't go to Australia or Canada anymore because they don't recognize the expungement as a way of, uh, you know, the etch-a-sketch racing. They don't care about that. So I can no longer go to um, um, Australia for the fifth time. <laughs> I went there the four times before they figured out that I already had a felony or something. Uh, but uh, and it's because I answered properly. When I came into the country, they had a form that they wanted us all to fill out. I don't know what the what was happening in the real world as a result of that. I think it might've been right after nine 11 or something like that. But uh, I answered it truthfully and I got delayed a half hour going into the country. And I got delayed about an hour coming out of the country. Thank God I came, came to the airport early, which I always do. And, uh, um, uh, but then routinely since then, I have not gotten ever, uh, 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 what do they call it? Electronic transit authority, ETA, which would would allow me to go there without having a special um, um, visa for her, but in the U.S. they can do that, um, except me. And Canada's the same way. In fact, Canada can actually try you by proxy. In other words, they can just look at the facts of the case, and regardless of what your outcome was in the case, so even if I got found innocent or found not guilty, they could still even look at the case and go, no, we don't want that kind of behavior for the people that even visit Canada. So it, uh, but still as a result, um, Canada has a long memory, you know, and I've been to 150 countries since then. Ha, (laughs) just these two, I can't go back to. Um, But yeah, so, so I am expunged legally. It's gone away. Um, uh, So if I were to be, were to be convicted at this point of anything, knock on for Micah, I guess, um, the uh, um, uh, that would still count as my first offense. So it's just that's just the way the, the game works. Um, it's, it's so challenging. I, I've, I've, you know, my, my history. I started a small startup, which was bought by a public company. So I got to see kind of corporate bureaucracy grow mm-hmm. little by little. And this to me just feels like when good intentions comes up against corporate bureaucracy, right? Essentially, there's no there's no room for understanding and reason, and it becomes simply you know this machine almost kind of running on its own. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also have to remember what era this was. This was the the trials, the trial. I think I don't only one. Well, no, actually, we had like three or four uh, pretrial hearings. So I remember going to those. And one of those is where the judge confirmed that changing the background color on your screen, if you didn't have your boss's permission, was a uh, was a felony. We had a judge say that. So now that's Matt. part of case law. That's part of case law in Oregon, yeah. And uh, one day, you know, when I was busy chit-chatting with my uh, legal team, uh, at like 
I never wanted to figure out the end dollars per hour when my entire legal team was in the room. It was just ugh, insane. Cause I've had to pay for all this out of, out of my pocket. Um, the, um, one of our discussions was what if somebody else based on what might be your conviction when we're done with this, um, use gets to use that as a precedent for, um, uh, also being convicted of a, of a totally petty action as a, a real law. And sure enough, uh, a couple years after I was convicted, I was told that there was a cashier working at a clothing store or something like that, some sort of retail store, that uh, being monitored by a, a closed-circuit video camera. Um, does closed-circuit even make any sense anymore? Anyway, by video. And um, they had um, cleaned the cash register out of all, their, all the cash and pocketed it. Now, yeah, that's a crime, but it's a, it's, I think it's a misdemeanor because it was under, under like $1,000. But he had also, he or she, I can't remember, had also um, reset some of the calculator register values that told how much money should be in the cash register. He was not arrested on the money. He was ended up being convicted of a Class C felony for changing the computer without authorization because of the change of the register. Wow. wow. Insane. Insane. And more precedents happening all the time. <sighs> so, Randall, you've, you have so much experience in the industry. I know a lot of people listening are probably younger, starting off with careers. Do you have advice you give people in Flutter or to generalized programmers? Hmm. Well, I'm just having this discussion in one of the uh, Facebook groups. Oh, Facebook's the other place. I read about eight or nine different you know, channels. And I have these now have these stock messages that say, please do not paste screenshots. Even worse, don't paste screenshots shot with your, your, your phone cam. <laughs> Here's a nice screen that does have text on it. And you don't just press capture screen and paste and put that into No, they take pictures at skewy angles with their phone. And then they paste it and say, what's wrong with my program? And I always say, your font is too small. <laughs> anyway, so um, uh, oh, where was I going with that? Oh, advice. So somebody came on uh, a couple of days ago. I, don't, I forget which Facebook group, but something with Flutter in the title, and said, "Should I learn Dart or Flutter first? Because I'm not a programmer at all yet." And not to discourage him too much, but I said, "If you're not a programmer at all yet." Think of who you're competing with if you're going to go into the market. <laughs> you're going to be competing with people who have been doing programming for 10, maybe 20 years, and probably Dart for six or seven years and Flutter for three. You, There's no way you're going to be that useful to people. You're going to be outpaced. And, and the better, the easier way I said it many, many years ago was I said, if you're not already teaching yourself programming before high school, you, you'll, you'll always be way behind because programming is not a science. It's an art and it needs to be an art that comes from your heart, from your um, desires, your emotions. And 
if you weren't doing it early, um, don't get into programming just to try to make money. There are plenty of other things that I'm sure your passions would lead to if you just let that open up and figure out. Don't be a programmer to get rich. That's not now you can hire people if you can build up a good business plan like me or other people to who were programming when we were 10 to accomplish what you want to accomplish, but you're never going to be there. You, you, I, I don't mean that, you know, okay. You're likely to be behind the curve all the time. I, should, I think that's more how I say it. Um, but yeah, so my advice first is, if you weren't coding by the time you were uh, 10 or 15, uh, you know, enjoy Flutter, enjoy Dart, uh, enjoy all these technologies for your own use, but you're going to, it's, you know, you need to be uh, cautious of the idea that maybe uh, you can have this be a full-time profession for yourself because there's, there's not that much of a shortage of programmers. Uh, after that. Uh, the other thing, though, I would also say is uh, be diverse. You know, I've done technical writing, uh, software engineering, sysadmin work, QA, um, security consulting, um, uh, writing books, writing magazine articles, teaching uh, for s- small audiences, for conferences, for um, on-site and, and open enrollment trainings. I've done a little bit of everything and it's been really, really fun. I've gotten to do all this. Um, and it has made the years go by much faster. You know, I keep looking at, you know, I'm a 40 year veteran of the industry now. And it's like, but I'm still as sharp as a tack. Uh, wait, what were we talking about? Oh, no, but uh, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still sharp. And I, I appreciate that, that, that uh, I started with enough, enough momentum that when Flutter came along, there wasn't a lot for me to be completely surprised by, except uh, except generics. That's 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 a new one for me. Um, but uh, but it's all the same old principles. Um, and I mentioned earlier that I was been coding in Smalltalk. Smalltalk feels like Dart in that. You've got um, you've got things like cascades that came directly from uh, Smalltalk, by the way. Uh, Gilad Braca uh, used to work a lot on Smalltalk, and he brought that into the Dart fold. But he finally got cascades right. Cascades were actually backwards in Smalltalk, but that's a long story. Um, so he uh, it feels a lot like that because everything's an object. Uh, class hierarchies. There's mix-ins which. Uh, uh, um, squeak small talk had. Uh, so it feels like a small talk that's actually practical enough that I can use it for uh, my applications. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that, a lot of uh, sort of feeling like coming home. Uh, I was trying to make 2008 the year of small talk um, because they had just come out with this uh, web development uh, framework called Seaside and it could do some amazing things. It essentially had hot reload in a, in a web application that was really, really smart work. And so I decided I wanted to put a whole push on that and that didn't uh, pan out because I didn't have enough other people also, you know, pushing down the, uh, the desires or something or, or pushing up the desires, I should say. Um, but it feels like that. 
for me. And, and, and so Dart feels like Smalltalk finally done right, uh, or at least done in a usable way. And with uh, the power of Google behind it and the power now of a ever enlarging um, 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 community and with uh, more and more application areas coming along, um, I can also recommend if you're a Flutter advocate, please don't start with cross-platform. That should not be your bullet one ever um, because that's not the interesting part of Flutter. The interesting part of Flutter is hot reload. Um, uh, portability is a different way of saying cross-platform, but you know, uh, uh, different platforms that it'll now run on, that sort of thing. Uh, and a, a good, strong sound language, um, good tooling, um, uh, support at this point fully from Google in terms of getting uh, you know, iOS and Android and, and the new platforms working. Um, so like I said, if you're a Flutter advocate, please be quiet about cross-platform. It's kind of nice that it does that, but that's not the important part. Hot reload. Just think hot reload, number one. <laughs> cool. That's a great tip. Uh, and then finally, is there anything else you'd like to add or promote? Oh, uh, boy. Oh, yeah, it's getting on on time here. Um, well, I'm honored that you asked me to be on your podcast. Uh, I mean, it was like a couple years ago you were on mine. Um, I'm, I continue to be thrilled by what I'm seeing in Flutter as it moves forward. Uh, I'm trying to devote as much time as I can without cutting into billable hours uh, to do everything I can with that. Uh, as a GDE, as you well know, uh, I should have been spending some time uh, giving presentations for user groups, stuff like that. I haven't done as much of that as I should. But I tell you, the hour or two a day, um, I have been answering so many interesting questions, uh, like especially on Stack Overflow and, and uh, the um, uh, Reddit and things like that. I've been answering so many questions with people saying, I would never have thought of that. Or wow, that's the thing. Cause I'm also reading, you know, again, I'm reading as much as I can of the new things that are being uploaded. I do almost every English language, um, uh, screencast that I, that I'm linked up on. Cause I just, uh, I never know when I want to hear something new. That is something that, uh, maybe makes something a little easier. My, my current fan uh, item that I've been sharing quite a lot is Riverpod, which is uh, done by the same guy that did Provider, but it's when he was able to step back after having done Provider and said, what's really mm, about this? And uh, I tell you, the, the, the first item that I didn't like about Provider when I saw it was the fact that it was using the type system as a way of selecting where the provider is. I went, that's... I guess that's a really sideways way of using um, generics, but it seemed odd to me because you're essentially using the class, uh, the class specification in your in in your hunting for for it to uh, define which possible uh, provider you're interested in. Whereas Riverpod started over and said, "Why? You know, we had this perfectly great scoping system. You know, class scoped." Uh, uh, file scoped where you can drop a variable and then only those things can get to it. And it's named whatever you want to name it. 
And you can have two things that are both doing provider on int with no conflicts because it's it's basing it based on the, the, the variable names, which is the right thing to distinguish things on, not the class that it is. And so he fixed those and, he, and it's a much better, broader system. The only thing I'm worried about, about uh, advocating it wholeheartedly um, uh, is that I'm reading the issues that uh, Remy is uh, sorting through. He, before he makes it 1.0, he has to figure out a few things about how he wants to unify some of the naming of things. And so that might made it not backward compatible, though given his previous history, he probably has a way of leaving the old stuff also working because uh, he's pretty good at that. Um, and again, if you haven't, uh, if you have seen a little bit about Riverpod, because I've talked about it, um, my first two items published to my uh, Randall Schwartz on Dart and Flutter uh, YouTube channel, if you just ask for Randall Schwartz on Dart and Flutter, you'll get it, um, is, um, is uh, my starter kit. So how many times have we had to erase all the stuff from the counter app <laughs> or no, just the comments first and, or you erase too much because you still need the, the scaffold and stuff like that. I said, let's start from scratch. So I came up with a derivative of the counter app where I subtracted out all the things that make it look like a counter. And I only have the parts in there that I want, but specifically for being able to pull in all of Riverpod correctly. So the, uh, the, uh, the state, the thing at the top level, uh, um, I forget what it's called, something about something provider, a river pot, something. Anyway, uh, and uh, and a bunch of other things like um, like safe area, a couple other things that are sort of necessary all the time. And uh, I created some uh, Visual Studio Code uh, shortcuts, but uh, I don't have those published yet. I got to go figure out how to do that. That's uh, more smarts than I had at the moment. Anyway, so I, I have one podcast, uh, one screencast that shows, walks through everything that I chose in this uh, Riverpod starter kit. And then I did a second one where I build up the counter app, starting with my, uh, my, my, uh, my uh, toolkit and uh, showing how Riverpod more precisely controls um, what's rebuilt and what's not rebuilt. And it's so much nicer. You can say for any given class, any different wi given widget, I'm only pulling up this value because I need to get at something it points at. So you get a read request against that. Or you can say, I want to be rebuilt when the value I'm pointing at changes. And so you can decide on a case-by-case -case basis, rebuild or not. And I demonstrate that in uh, the second screencast. So go check that out because I think you'll be excited about Riverpod when you see what it's actually doing. Nice. Excellent. So we'll make sure to include links to both the YouTube channel uh, and the starter template um, yep. in, the in the episode notes. Yes. Cool. Randall, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate taking time to be on the podcast. Thank you again for having me on your podcast. That was really a surreal experience and a lot of fun. Uh, awesome. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch, how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? Um, I've had the same email address since before there was the tubes all the way to people's houses. So that would be uh, Merlin at M-E-R-L-Y-N Merlin. At Stonehenge, S T O N E H E N G E dot com, and the uh, the people in the UK really really want that domain. I said no, I'm. It's in active use. It's been it's been in active use for for twenty five years now. So no, you can't have it. Um, domain. My domain is my domain exactly. Um, 
uh, and, and I'll give you the, the links for the, the, or just go for Randall Schwartz on Dart and Flutter and please subscribe. Great. All right, thanks for listening. <laughs> Until next time. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks. <laughs>